0: focus on headline. All right. Let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines here. On focus on headline for this. Uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters Che Jihee and Park Seoone. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening. And uh Jihee, welcome back. It's uh, it was a rough uh, week for you, I guess.
1: Yes, very strange. strange. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> feeling okay now? Yes, I'm feeling a lot better. All
0: Thank right. Uh, we are going to kick things off with, of course, the top story here. With this was highly expected. Uh, it did happen. South Korean Foreign Minister Park Jin uh, holding his first bilateral talks with his Japanese counterpart Yoshimasa Hayashi over in Tokyo. He did make the trip to Tokyo uh, earlier in the day. Now, this is the first foreign minister's talk between the two countries since the launch of the Union yeol administration. Now, of course, previously they had talks, but uh, it also involved the uh, the top diplomat of the United States. So it is the first one-on-one here. Ji, let's get the uh, latest updates here.
1: Sure. So Foreign Minister Park Jin, like you said, made his first official trip to Japan after the inauguration of the Suk-yeol administration in May. And the Foreign Minister left for Japan for his three-day trip, which uh, began today, to discuss ways to improve the long-strained bilateral ties between the two countries. Uh, Park and his counterpart had previously held talks in May when Yoshimasa Hayashi visited uh, Seoul to attend President Yoon's inauguration ceremony. And this bilateral meeting of the foreign ministers in Japan is the first in four years and seven months after the last one was held in December of 2017. And the two were expected to discuss a series of contentious issues, uh, including a focus on compensation for South Korean victims of Japan's wartime forced labor. And the talk was in fact held for around an hour. It ended, apparently, and the two ministers are scheduled to have a 90-minute long uh, dinner together after the talk. And in 2018, the South Korean Supreme Court ordered uh, Japanese companies found guilty of exploiting forced labor during World War II to compensate surviving Korean victims. Uh, But then, as Japan claims, all issues regarding reparation were settled through a 1961 accord aimed at reviving diplomatic relations. Uh, Japanese firms have refused to comply with the ruling, prompting victims to take the issue back to court. Uh, And the judges here in the country ordered the companies to liquidate their Korea-based assets to provide compensation in 2021. And so as the two sides remain at odds over this issue uh, for, for quite a long time, Japan has also demanded that the Korean government come up with the solution themselves, and the UN administration has launched even a consultative group of public and private groups to gather in- opinions from officials, experts, victims, as well as legal representatives to solve the issue. And they've actually held uh, two meetings so far. And regarding the matter, Prime Minister Kishida had said the promise between the two countries regarding historic matters must be kept. Uh, This is fundamental and without it, no further discussion between the two sides can be held. And as the Japanese government considers the problem as a matter in which South Korea should come up with a solution, like I said, finding the middle ground doesn't seem easy. Yet much attention is on whether a potential solution that both parties can accept can be sought during this meeting.
0: Yeah, I think that's an understatement when you say finding the middle ground doesn't seem easy, because I think (laughs) Japan has made it clear that, you know, their stance is very clear, right? right? And it's really a matter of if they want to resolve any kind of tensions between the two Mm. sides. It's really a matter of whether or not South Korea is going to back down on all the court rulings here. But considering right now the UN administration, uh, the ruling party, their approval rating has been sinking, it is going to be even detrimental if they decide they're going to side with Japan Mm. on this and uh, what the public sentiment is going to be here in South Korea. So it it really is not an easy easy task Mm. right now. And uh, I don't see how they're going to be able to find the middle ground without one side really losing it all. But mm. uh, it doesn't seem like Japan uh, is going to, is it, they're really not going to back out here. Uh, in the meantime, Indonesian President Joko Widodo is planning to visit South Korea later this month. Uh, tell us uh, what his purpose of the visit is on this, uh, Sewan.
2: Sure. Indonesian President Joko Widodo will visit South Korea late this month for summit talks with President Yoon sung yeol according to Korea's presidential office, today. The two countries of South Korea and Indonesia have been in consultations about the summit's agenda and the itinerary of Widodo's planned visit to Seoul, according to the presidential office. President Jokowi's visit to Korea is the first in about three years since attending the Korea ASEAN Summit and the Korea Mekong Summit held in Busan in November 2019. And this visit, which is the first meeting with President Yoon, is expected to be a working visit where the two presidents are expected to hold in-depth discussions about economic security, defense industry, and other issues. Widodo, current chair of the G20, is expected to seek cooperation from the Korean side for the G20 summit to be held in Bali, Indonesia, in November this year. And meanwhile, President Jukowi invited Russian President Vladimir Putin and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in the upcoming G20 summit.
0: Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, I mean, with uh, as the chair, you're allowed to invite anybody. Uh, but uh, this is going to be quite mm-hmm. interesting when uh, you're saying, President Joko Widodo uh, probably invited uh, two of the fiercest uh, rivals right now, and uh, President Zelensky and uh, Planet Vladimir Putin. Uh, even during the G24 ministerial meeting, I mean, you know, all eyes were on uh, the Russian diplomat, right, mm-hmm. uh, Sergey Lavrov, and uh, everyone was kind of attacking Russia, blaming Russia for the food shortages, the energy crisis, and so forth. Uh, what's going to happen uh, still about four months away? Um, hope that uh, things could pan out for the better over in Ukraine throughout that time. Uh, we're going to talk about some Korea-U.S. relations related news here. Defense chiefs of South Korea and the United States having agreed to hold talks over in Washington next week. This is twice uh, that meeting since their first talk uh, in the during the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore last month, it is uh, quite rare for the two uh, officials to meet very frequently like this, especially when you're talking about in a span of about a month here. So, what are they expecting to uh, to cover this time in their talks?
2: Yeah, As you mentioned, it is very rare that the two officials meet uh, two times in a row within a short period of two months or one month. So this time, the purpose of their meeting is to discuss the bilateral alliance and combined defense posture against North Korea, as all officials said uh, Sunday. Defense Minister Lee Jong-seo plans to meet his U.S. counterpart Lloyd Austin when Lee visits Washington, D.C. to attend the dedication ceremony for a wall of remembrance at the Korean War Veterans Memorial slated for July. 27th. The two sides are currently coordinating a detailed schedule and meeting agenda according to the officials. Well, as I mentioned, it will be their second in-person discussions in about a month following their meeting held on the sidelines of a security forum in Singapore. And one official from the military said the series of talks is the process of advancing the talks exchanged in Singapore. The defense chiefs are expected to discuss how to strengthen their combined defense posture, extended deterrence against North Korea's growing missile and nuclear threats. For example, last week, South Korea and the United States conducted their first combined air drills involving F-35A stealth fighters amid concerns over Pyongyang's preparation for its seventh nuclear test or other provocative actions. The allies are also considering the resumption of combined field training during their regular military exercise next month, according to the informed sources.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a number of reasons for why the two allies uh, kind of held back on their joint military exercises. Number one, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, Mm -hmm. right? And so that that kind of held things back. And also during the previous uh, Moon administration, they were kind of trying not to upset North Korea too much uh, with these uh, joint military drills, which again, North Korea continues to call them, uh, you know, I guess uh, something that's invasive in nature. Uh, offensive in nature, although uh, South Korea and the United States always say that it's defensive in nature. So mm. uh, we'll see how North Korea is going to be have uh, they're going to respond to all this. Uh, speaking of which, uh, the two allies, having conducted a joint military exercise in the South Korean army, assigned U.S. troops to combat. Uh, combat teams under his command for the first time here. ji uh, let's get the details of this.
1: Sure. So according to the Korean Army, the joint training exercise took place from the 15th to 18th, uh, which was last Friday through Monday, involving two brigades engaging in simulated combat against each other at the Army's uh, Korea Combat Training Center, or KCTC, in Injae County of Gangwon Province. Now, the drills involved 4,300 South Korean troops from the 15th 4- the 81st Brigade of the 12th Division and the 81st Brigade of the 28th Division, as well as 300 U.S. troops from the 1st Armored Brigade. Uh, the 300 U.S. troops from the 1st Armored Brigade had completed their combat training back in the National Training Center in California before being deployed to the ROK U.S. Combined Division. And the main purpose of the recent joint military exercise, they say, was to allow as many divisions as possible to experience taking part in the KCTC exercise. And the observatory control officers who are in charge of controlling the exercise situation itself were formed of those who had high English communication skills, obviously, uh, so that they can hold a more seamless joint exercise. And as the exercise was held under harsh weather conditions with the scorching heat and continued monsoon season, uh, some 90 safety control officers were also organized to ensure the safety of the combat soldiers. And the Allies mobilized some Uh, 100 combat vehicles ranging from tanks, armored vehicles, and self-propelled howitzers to attack helicopters and unmanned aerial vehicles. And the lethal components on various U.S. weapons and other combat equipment were interchanged with South Korea's uh, multiple integrated laser engagement systems as well to enable scientific analyses of incoming training
0: data. Which, by the way, this kind of reminds me. I know this mm. is, is sort of related. I mean, what happened to all the talks about uh, South Korea taking over the the, the uh, you know <sighs> OpCon, right? Uh, yeah. The command, the uh, the operational war command there. Uh, that <laughs> that discussion has been kind of. Uh, debted so, for quite a bit, yes. right? I mean, there was talks that, that it's just going to be the transfer of the OPCON uh, since the, uh, the previous uh, you know, Trump administration, but no talks of that anymore. Uh, in the meantime, South Korea's National Assembly's Defense Committee has approved today on the secondary project bill to purchase more F-35 fighter jets. Uh, what's the background for the decision here, hewan
2: Yes, the decision to procure more F-35 fighter jets was made to replace aging fighter jets of the Air Force as part of its FX project. The FX project comprises of the government's preemptive strike strategy, kill chain, meant to counter North Korean nuclear and missile threats. Pundits say that it is practically the F-35A model that can satisfy such conditions with its stealth function. The Navy has been insisting on purchasing the F-35B, which can take off and land vertically and can be mounted on light aircraft carriers. However, at the beginning of this year, accidents continued due to the F-5, an old fighter jet of the Air Force, to lead to the decision to purchase F-35A fighter jets. The late squadron leader, Sim Tong. Tong Min was killed in the crash of a 36-year-old F-5E in January, and the aging of the Air Force fighter has received much attention since then. And it is expected that about 20 more F-35As will be introduced as part of this next-generation fighter project. With this in addition to the 40 F-35A already in use by the military, a total of about 60 F-35A is expected to be secured.
0: There you have it. Uh, Of course, uh, it is not just uh, the fighter jets that are being introduced to strengthen monitoring the North Korean nuclear threat. Uh, According to the military, on the 17th, uh, that's Sunday, uh, the Ministry of National Defense uh, recently decided to introduce additional airborne. Early Warning and Control Aircrafts, Uh, so what's this about?
2: Yeah, that's correct. Four additional Boeing E-7A PSI aircraft, or the Airborne Early Warning and Control, or AEWNC of the Air Force, called the Command Post in the Sky, will be introduced. Previously, two additional aircraft were were planned to be introduced by 2027, according to the basic strategy for the second AEW&C project. The Defense Acquisition Program and Administration plans to carry out the project in earnest as soon as possible. The verification of the project feasibility study is completed. Since the Air Force currently operates four E-737 PSI AEWNC aircrafts, the introduction of four additional aircrafts will be, will bring the number to eight. The air controller is also called an air early warning and controller because it monitors and detects targets such as missiles and aircraft of the enemy, such as North Korea, and commands and controls allies. At the time of the resolution of the 2022nd Beijing Strategy Plan for AEWNC, the DAPA stated, increased threats from neighboring countries guarantee of additional mission conditions due to the expansion of the Korean Air Force Defense Identification Zone or CADIS and the minimization of the monitoring gap as reasons for securing additional air controllers. I have
0: mm-hmm. to say, there's been a lot of talks, uh, all the reports that you guys have been covering is based on military, uh, which... Yeah. Does it show or a hint that uh, really a North Korean nuclear weapons test is imminent? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been kind of talking about this for months now. Uh, fortunately, it hasn't happened. But uh, as all uh, many pendants say, it's it's ine- inevitable that uh, it's, it's, it's bound to happen. It's a matter of when, not if, uh, I guess, uh, if they're going to be doing right. this. Uh, let's talk about something quite interesting here. The uh, UN administration and the ruling people power party having met over the weekend to come up with some uh, tangible measures to address the public debt burden uh, amid the rising inflation and interest rates right and the big thing is if you raise the key interest rates it's supposed to suppress inflation uh, we haven't seen any of that so not only do you have rising consumer prices you also have a lot of uh, the interest rates going up and uh, with so many people buying houses uh, during the pandemic mm-hmm. where's all that uh, debt right uh, the meeting also dealt with issues related to the necessary push for a currency swap channel with the United States, which is likely to be discussed when, of course, uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen visits Seoul this week. So, Chi, let's get more on this.
1: Sure. So as the central bank's recent sharp rate hikes have resulted in a spike in the interest payment burden on the public, who have, like you said, bought homes with borrowed money, uh, the government and the ruling party on Sunday held a policy consultation meeting as part of efforts to ease uh, the public's financial burden. Now, a decision to allow low-priced homeowners to replace their floating rate-based uh, borrowing with fixed ones was made as a result. And the government also said a currency swap channel with the U.S. may serve as a break that could forestall a further decline uh, in the Korean currency's value. Now, South Korea and the U.S. had maintained a $60 billion U.S. dollar currency swap deal under which Seoul could borrow dollars in exchange for its local currency. But then the temporary deal expired at the end of last year as scheduled amid relatively stabilized market conditions. But then, as we all know, the South Korean won lost much ground since the start of this year on rising concerns over a global recession and mounting aversion to risky assets. And the need for the reopening of the swap channel to stabilize the local financial market once again has being raised. And as U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will visit Seoul this week and meet with key financial and economic uh, figures, speculations have arisen that the two sides could discuss the uh, reopening of a currency swap line. And last week, BOK Governor Lee Chang-yong told reporters Yellen will likely hold discussions with uh, South Korean officials on various measures for foreign exchange market stabilization. And he expressed hopes that relevant talks could take place when she meets Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho this week.
0: So this is quite interesting, right? Like, I I don't know if any of you guys have bought houses recently. Uh, Gee, maybe you're planning to because you were were kind of talking about that (laughs) last time. Uh, But like interest rates, like that's a big thing, right? Mm. You were kind of hoping for the housing prices to dip down down, and go down. And that's exactly what we're seeing right Mm -hmm. now. Actually, a lot of the houses are going down, and I've called it before. It's not going to be any of the administration. Like, the Moon administration can't control that, the previous Moon administration. The current uh, UN administration isn't going to be able to put in policies where it's going to control the housing prices. It's going to be the interest rates. If it goes up and it's going really high right now, uh, the housing prices are going to go down. But the fear is a lot of people might be going, well, if you put in fixed uh, mortgages, then isn't that going to raise the housing prices once again? And then, uh, you know, people, what about the people that didn't buy houses? Uh, you know, they can't afford houses again. You're only kind of supporting those that have bought the houses mm-hmm. uh, during the, the the peak of uh, the, the, the housing, I guess, uh, buying speed uh, that we saw. But I think the reason why they're doing this, I don't know if you guys remember what happened back in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine during that uh, that financial crisis. Uh, there was a massive real estate collapse in mm. the United States. Mm. And one of the reasons for, well, the main reasons for why there was an epic uh, housing you know collapse was because people weren't able to afford the interest mm. and they could, they couldn't pay off their mortgage. And so they were forced to kind of, you know, sell their houses. And, uh, because people weren't able to afford the houses, the market collapsed. And so I think that's what they're trying to do at this time. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how much, uh, it could actually, cause now it's, it's the other way, right? The people were asking for the, the real estate prices to go down. Yeah. Now it's going down too much. And, uh, <laughs> That's going to upset a lot of these homeowners. Uh, In the meantime, the South Korean government and the ruling party are pushing for tax reforms in a bid to stave off economic Stagnation from hyperinflation. Uh Saewon, what specific measures were discussed in this regard?
2: Yes, so the leaders of the ruling People Power Party and Deputy Prime Minister Chu Gyeong ho said in a meeting held today that the two sides reached a consensus that tax relief on earnings and properties is a viable means of revitalizing the economy and stabilizing people's livelihoods. Representative Tong Ye Jong, head of policy at the People's Power Party, told reporters after the meeting that Chu and the party leaders agreed to focus on lessening the income tax burden and lowering taxes imposed for real estate properties and transactions. Song said his party strongly demanded the government proactively review, relieving the tax burden on the working and middle class, adding that lowering the income tax would be the most helpful measures for South Koreans hit by faster-than-expected inflation. According to Statistics Korea, the country's consumer prices rose 6 percent last month from a year earlier. The figure is the sharpest inflation recorded since November 1998 during the Asian financial crisis. And Song also said the party also called for the government to lower corporate and inheritance taxes for small businesses in a move aimed at triggering firms to increase investment and create more jobs. And lowering the corporate tax was one of the key campaign promises for President Yoon Song yeol The finance ministry last week announced its plan to cut the maximum corporate tax rate from the current 25 percent to 22 percent, on top of providing additional regulatory reliefs. Song said negotiators also discussed adjusting categories for corporate tax rates, but it is believed final measures are likely to be smaller as corporate tax accounts for 25 percent of the government's tax revenue.
0: Yeah, again, quite interesting Because it was, uh, was it? They, they're basically bringing it back uh, to what it was, you know, pre Moon administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Moon administration raised it to 25 and then now they're cutting it back to 22, uh, which was what it was before. And so, uh, you know, some of the other corporations are saying, well, it's not enough. You know, you're just kind of, uh, you know, bringing it back to what it was before. We need more help, especially during the, the pandemic uh, era. It's hitting mm-hmm. us hard too. But, what a lot of people... By the way, this is interesting. You brought this up. Uh, uh, real estate taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just got my first, first half real estate tax coming mm-hmm. at the mail, uh-huh. mail today. So yeah, a lot of people are going to be talking about this in the next few And then you have the second uh, half taxes, mm-hmm. which is, by the way, next month. It's mm-hmm. They give you uh, month after month. Uh, but what was uh, discussed on the front when it comes to real estate taxes?
2: Yeah. So the negotiators were on the same page of returning the real estate tax system to where it was before the Moon Jae-in administration. So Yoon had repeatedly vowed during his presidential campaign to essentially remove all real estate State of regulations implemented by the Moon Ad government, Song said today that discussion entailed easing the taxation level for single homeowners, so their tax rate is at this level. It was before housing prices skyrocketed in two thousand and twenty. Chu and the People Power Party discussed providing tax relief for meal transactions of regular wage earners as a means to boost consumption, Song said, adding that members were contemplating the reduction of taxation on pension funds as well. And almost every economic indicator has pointed to South Korea facing risks of stagflation, a mix of slowing economic growth and high inflation, as is the case for most economies facing fast inflation and major economic troubles stemming from Russia as invasion of Ukraine and coronavirus concerns of, or fallout. The finance ministry is scheduled to officially announce what tax reforms uh, it will look to pursue on the 21st. They will be the first tax reform measures to be announced under the Yoon UN administration that kicked off in May.
0: Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of stories of uh, people because, you know, when you buy a house, you're all happy, right? Uh, and you forget you have to pay taxes. Texas. And uh, <laughs> I just recently read an article where someone uh, basically just Took out all the loan that they can, uh, bought an apartment for $2.3 million. Uh, he had about uh, $700,000 in cash. Mm. Uh, I, I think that's too much. Uh, I don't think you can afford to really buy that. And it turns out he's, uh, he owes about, uh, he said something like uh, a couple of, like $20,000. In taxes is what he uh, what he owes or something oh, like that, well, and so now he does. You know, he's already took out so much loans, mm-hmm. uh, and then the the housing price. You know, he bought it for two point three mil. Now it's at two mil. Now it's oh, panicking. Oh, no. uh, so this is uh, the big concern now. Uh, I mean, it's. I think what a lot of people kind of wish for, right? The real estate prices to go down. But what about the homeowners? Mm-hmm. Let's uh, move on to a different issue right now. Unfortunately, really, uh, it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight for the ongoing war uh, in ukraine right now ukrainian military officials said russia is preparing for the next stage in its offensive in ukraine after moscow said its forces would step up military operation in all operational areas Uh, Chihi, let's get more on this.
1: Sure. So a representative of the main intelligence uh, directorate of the Ukrainian Defense Ministry said Russia is currently preparing for the next phase of offensive actions in Ukraine. Now he said on the air of Ukrainian TV channels that undoubtedly preparations are underway for the next phase of offensive actions. Now, the Ukrainian military said Russia appeared to be uh, regrouping units for an offensive toward Slovians, a symbolically important city held by Ukraine in the eastern region of Donetsk. Now, the British Defense Ministry said on Sunday that Russia was also reinforcing defenses across areas it, uh, it occupies in southern Ukraine after pressure from Ukrainian forces and pledges from Ukrainian leaders to drive Russia out. Now, as Western deliveries of long-range arms begin to help Ukraine on the battlefield, uh, Russian rockets and missiles have pounded cities in strikes, uh, killing dozens in recent days as well. Now, Ukraine says at least 40 people have been killed in the Russian shelling of urban areas since last Thursday. And to the south, more than 50 Russian grad rockets pounded the city of Nikopol on the Dnipro River, killing two people as well, at least. And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Russia had used more than 3,000 cruise missiles to date. And it was impossible to really count the number of artillery uh, and other strikes so far.
0: Yeah, and of course, uh, Russia continues to say that they're not targeting the civilians, right? Mm. Uh, They're targeting key military Uh, facilities. Uh, The last time I checked, uh, kindergartens and shopping malls are not Mm. uh, key military Mm. facilities here. Mm. Uh, Again, because of this, concerns growing that the energy crisis uh, triggered by the Ukraine war will hit the global economy even further. Let's face it, it's already hit, right? Uh, Obviously, this is another terrible news uh, on the economic uh, outlook, which already very gloomy due to the U.S. interest rate hike, uh, China's zero COVID policy. That's also uh, really stalling a lot of things. Uh, big question now is, is the gas, Russian gas supply likely to uh, continue here, the issue over that, and how is this going to affect the Korean economy? one, you have more on this.
2: Well, as you mentioned, recently in Europe, uh, major attention has been paid to whether Russia will reopen its gas pipeline to Germany. So to give you some more background, on the 11th local time, Russian state-owned Gazprom stopped supplying the gas pipe through Nord Stream 1 for maintenance and repair. The scheduled maintenance and repair period ends on the 21st. So at this point, the key is whether Gazprom will resume supply as promised. It is expected that the decision will be made around 22nd as to whether Russia, which has shut off the gas pipeline to Germany, will continue to stop providing the gas for a long time. So in the Overseas Economy Focus published on the 17th by the Bank of Korea, it said if Russia's gas supply is completely stopped, a recession in the euro area is expected to become a reality. And the report mentioned a possibility of a tail risk, which refers to a risk that is unlikely to occur, but once it does, has a significant impact. So, if the supply disruptions continues, it will de- deal a huge blow on the European economy, and in the manufacturing field, it will affect production. And um, the inflationary pressures are likely to increase. And with the reduction in supply from Russia last late last month, a signal for crisis has already surged in the market. Last month, natural gas prices rose by twenty percent from the previous month, as the demand for alternatives increased. Coal prices continued to rise. So, Europe is paying particular attention to the German economy. Uh, Obviously, this is because if the German economy, which which accounts for a large portion of the Eurozone, suffers difficulties, downward pressure will increase across the Europe as well. Germany hit by soaring energy prices poses its first trade deficit since unification in May. And it is also hard to expect the rebound of the Chinese economy as well with its negative economic outlook and due to sluggish property market and not enough room for the economic support from the government through monetary and fiscal policies. And the United States is also expected to experience negative economic growth in the latter half of the year. So South Korea, of course, is expected to be affected from these major glooming economic perspectives, specifically the economic recession due to the natural gas crisis Will deal a huge blow on the European economy and will have a ripple effect on Korea's export as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, right now, I, I can't find any country in the world where it's not going to be affected, affected. by all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, maybe some. Uh, some, uh, you know, island nation uh, somewhere in the Pacific where they're isolated, they're not impacted by this. But I mean, all the major economies certainly uh, impacted by this. Let's talk about, speaking of this, uh, the, the impacts of the prolonged war over in Ukraine. I mean, there's a number of things, mm-hmm. a number, number of sectors, a number of areas that it's really going to negatively affect. Uh, Chi, let's start off with you. And I guess uh, the big thing with this is I mean the, the civilian aspect, right? Mm. And all the people, all the, all the innocent lives that are being lost here.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's the first thing that I wanted to mention. Well, we're seeing. Uh, civilians continuously being killed and the number of casualties. We don't even know what the exact number is. And the thing is, people are, I feel like, being desensitized because it's been prolonging for over uh, almost five months now. Mm -hmm. Yes, and all the sanctions causing economic impact, like you said, on every country, really. And this really makes me once again realize how uh, globally interconnected we all were Mm -hmm. because this uh, is impacting every country, really. And it's also causing uh, energy the energy crisis and economic recession. Uh, and not many people have seen a full recovery from the COVID-19 yet as well. Uh, the local economy here in South Korea, for example, they were trying to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic, but then that's when the war uh, broke yeah, out. Yeah. Yes. And we're really seeing the worst ever kind of period in history, really, in the modern times. And we're also seeing um, psychological impacts as well. People, I'm sure, and countries are uh, really fatigued by this. And there's cumulative fatigue that's going to be affecting uh, all of us, really. Like I feel like uh, the world is really gloomy and dark, and it is really affecting myself as well in many different ways. Yeah, so there are so many different uh, impacts that are caused by this prolonged war. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, think about it in this perspective. Um, you make a very good point. Mm. And uh, all of us who kind of cover news mm. on a daily basis, and, uh, you know, we have to read about this, we have to talk about this, we have to write about this. Mm. Uh, and some of our listeners might be, kind of wondering, why, why does SJ get so excited when uh, he talks about like food stuff and music stuff? <laughs> and it's it is because it's an escape, right? Yeah. It's an escape from all the other things that we uh, we talk about here. And, and I know, you know, high inflation, uh, you know, the gas price is ridiculous. Uh, you know, the interest rates are ridiculous. And then, but it, it kind of makes you think like, but what about the uh, the people in Ukraine, right? Like there's, there's people dying, mm. uh, innocent lives dying and so what we have unfortunately uh, is you know the result of the Ukraine war but uh, i mean at least it's not like what the ukrainians are going through right now there's that and uh, i mean i mean it's it's really really upsetting to mm-hmm. see all the the innocent people die in ukraine uh Sehwan, of course we talked about uh you know the civilian aspect over in ukraine but i mean economically the food also the food shortages i mean there's a number of crisis going on because of this prolonged war
2: yeah, sure. So um, before my friend said who is moving to Germany, she said she has to buy some sunflower oil from Korea. And that's when I realized that this whole crisis, uh, the Russia-Ukraine war, really affects the food crisis. Yeah. And after that, I read some articles and Russia and Ukraine export uh, nearly a third of the world's wheat and barley and more than 70 percent of its sunflower oil. So if it's blocked, it um uh, Takes a huge toll on the world's breadbasket. And it's making food more expensive across the globe and threatening to worsen the shortages, hunger, and it even causes uh, political instability in developing countries. And because also Russia is the top global fertilizer producer, uh, all these export bans are really making the humanitarian cro- uh, crisis in developing countries. So the situation now is that uh, typically 90% percent of the wheat and other grain from Ukraine fields are shipped to the world market by sea. But now it's uh a um, it's blocked by Russia uh, on the Black Sea coast and the Ukraine's De- Deputy Agricultural Minister asked the European Union lawmakers for helping exporting more grain including expanding the use of Romanian port on the Black Sea um, cutting the red teeth for freight crossing at the Polish border but that doesn't mean food is even um, farther from those that need it because they have to go all the way around Europe to come back into the Mediterranean so it has really has Added an incredible amount of cost to Ukrainian grain, and but the Russia says that Western sanctions on its banking and shipping industries is making the things worse. Uh, but the Ukraine um, Ukraine says that Russia's uh, shelling agricultural infrastructure, burning fields, stealing grain, and trying to sell it to Syria after Lebanon and Egypt refused to buy it, making things all worse. And um, Right. But Russia keeps saying that exports can reason once uh, Ukraine moves mines in the Black Sea and arriving ships can be checked for weapons. So there are different uh, stories from
0: both sides. Yeah, I mean, that was a long story from both sides. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, here's the thing, right? I think... You're looking at Russia, who went into this invasion not thinking it was going to die. I don't think they thought that it was going to last this long. Mm, I thought it was. Course, they thought yeah. it was going to be in and out very quickly, and mm. they get the region that they wanted all this time. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew that sanctions were going to come. I mean, mm. you know, they're not dumb. You know, they knew that the Western allies of Ukraine are going to slap some sanctions, but they didn't <laughs> realize that Ukraine is. They're not winning. But they're fending off better than what Russia thought they were. Now, mm-hmm. it's, it's a battle of time now, right? So mm-hmm. now the reason why now Russia has a slight edge is, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, they cut off the gas line, the, the Nord Stream 1, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the gas line that goes from Russia to Germany, but mm-hmm. it, it basically gives natural gas to all of Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they cited um, basically repair, is what they said. Uh, normally takes about 10 days, but now the European EU is saying that this is gonna last a long time. They're gonna start making excuses and mm. just completely cut gas. Yeah. What happens during the winter time when the Europeans really need that natural gas, right? And so I think now Russia is going, you know, we're, we're gonna choke them out. You know, we have this gas. I mean, that's, that's kind of been like their biggest leverage out of all mm. this. And so it's a matter of time, who's gonna falter first? Either way, no one wins in this case. Uh, exactly. really no one wins. Uh, speaking of cooking oil Don said I uh, bought some cooking oil today it was about 10000 uh, 10001 10, for cooking oil. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, you know all those cooking oils that mm-hmm. uh, people give out during Chuseok? Yeah, that's <laughs> so no, precious. That no one likes? You know, I used to take all that stuff because people didn't like it. I'm rich.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm cooking oil rich. That's what it is. Guys, thank you very much. There was so much covers on this. Thank you for, very much for your report, uh, your insights on these issues. Please stay safe, and uh, we'll see you guys again. See
1: you again. See you.